It's time to take your career to the next level. With over 150 graduate degree programs, the Catholic University of America, located in Washington, D.C., provides world-class academics with a student experience that educates the whole person, mind, body, and spirit. Whether your professional calling is in engineering, nursing, social work, or any of our other exceptional degree programs, encounter the best of everything that Catholic University has to offer and discover the best in yourself. Learn more today at catholic.edu forward slash gradadmissions. We commence our post-draft series of interviews with general managers from throughout the NFL, and we're going to start with the guy whose team had the first pick in the 2023 draft, Panthers GM Scott Fitter. Scott, welcome back. How are you? Good. Thanks for having me, Mike. You know, one of my small talk questions at the start of these is, what do you do now that the draft's over? But I see what you're doing. You're already signing your rookie class. Uh, yeah, we got after it this morning. Uh, Samir went out and signed Jamie Robinson. Uh, we'll try to get these guys under contract as soon as we can. And, you know, we have rookie minicamp in two weeks. We have uh, OTAs right now. So it never really stops. It really has changed. I think 2011 was the moment where it became so much easier. The process of negotiating these picks was streamlined, and we see more and more of them done. Most of them are usually done by Memorial Day weekend. Used to be most didn't even get started until after 4th of July. And it made me think of something. There was a time when the first overall pick would actually have a contract on the way in the door before the pick was even made. Was there any consideration of doing that with Bryce Young this year? You know, we had reached out to a couple of agents uh, prior to the draft. Um, Never really got the contract done, but reached out about what the sticking points may be. And I don't foresee those being an issue. What are the things that can be negotiated at this point for the first overall pick? My understanding is cash flow of the signing bonus, the structure of the guarantees, what may void a guarantee. What are the big issues that are left now that we've got a much more formulaic rookie wage scale process? Yeah, you know, a lot of it's just slotted. Uh, We let Samir Suleiman, who does our caps, do all of that. It really comes down to like deferments and, you know, structure. So uh, you don't have the big hangups that you had 10 years ago. Guys that would hold out, you know, until the first or second week of camp. And really, it's great because these guys get in, they're on time to camp, they're getting those reps early on. So uh, it really works out well for us. I want to go back to, before we talk about how Bryce Young became your selection at number one, how you got to number one. I remember after the combine, there was a sense the Bears were going to do something. It was just a question of when. When did the light bulb first go off for you? And when I say you, I mean it broadly for the Panthers about trading up from number nine to number one. Right. So out of the February meetings, you know, we met with the scouts. We had a new coaching staff. You know, they hadn't really dug into the quarterbacks yet. But during our uh, draft meetings, usually it's just the scouts. But we invited uh, Coach Reich, Thomas Brown, Josh McCown, Jim Caldwell, all of the coaches in to listen to the quarterbacks because it was such an important decision that we had to make as a franchise. Uh, we'd you know, taken a couple swings at some vets, but we thought the best you know, path forward for us was to draft and develop. So with that in mind, we invited them in, went to the combine, and said, hey, let's see how high we can get in the draft. We're picking at nine. Can we get up to three, two, or one? And so we explored, you know, really more three and one than anything else. And then uh, as it played out uh, at the combine, I talked to Ryan Poles a couple times, and we did not do a deal at the combine. 
came home to uh, Charlotte, and then I got word that something was happening in Chicago. They might be talking to another team as well, another couple teams. There was something on the move. So I called Ryan on a, it was a Tuesday evening. I said, hey, if you're doing something, is there a way we can jump in? And so we talked about it. And uh, fortunately, we were able to do something. We thought we had another deal done. And then it got to Friday, and we just decided, hey, listen, let's just take the, the jump from nine to one. Uh, Ryan was great about the way he worked with us. Uh, and we found a deal that worked for both sides. And when you say you talked to him on a Tuesday night, is that all happening the same week then? Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, the deal's done? So, yeah, Tuesday night, we had the initial talk, kind of finished the compensation on Wednesday, uh, Wednesday afternoon, and then it, it drug on for a couple of days. There were some other things that were happening, and uh, originally it was not to go to one, and then when we decided to go to one, we decided Friday morning, okay, let's talk again, and then we worked it out, what the, comp- what the compensation would be, and then uh, Friday, really late afternoon, around 3 or 4 p.m. our time, we were able to get the deal done at that point. So really it was over the period of three or four days that that happened. So if you had gone to number three, you're basically in the position the 49ers are in two years ago where we've got three guys we really like. We just don't pick which one is going to be left over for us if two quarterbacks go before we pick. And you would have been comfortable doing that. Well, yeah, we we had conviction on a couple of guys at the top coming out of those meetings. Uh that's not the ideal spot. We would still probably look to explore, can you get to two, can you get to one? Um, but to, once we made the jump to one, we said, let's do it. Let's pay this price. That way we can control the player that we want to get. We can get the best player that we think is for our team. And, uh, you know, at, at the time, we had committed to going through the process. We thought maybe Bryce would be the guy. But we committed to having a real continuous process and really look at it from every angle. We looked you know, we studied C.J. Hard, we studied Anthony Hard, Will Hard, and, you know, we're looking at Henning Hooker. We were trying to figure out who was the right guy for us. And then throughout the process, as we got to know Bryce, uh, he started checking every box. And we thought the other guys were going to be really good players, uh, but Bryce was the right one for us at that. You know, you mentioned the four quarterbacks that were taking first in the draft, although the, the fourth had a long wait. How surprised were you that Will Levis – went all the way to number 33. You know, it's, uh, I was surprised. You know, you sit there and you kind of feel like it's like maybe an Aaron Rodgers moment where you're sitting there and you, you know, you feel for guys in those situations because, you know, we got to know Will, you know, he's a talented guy. Um, But he ended up in a good spot. And it's really, we always say it's not where he starts, where he finishes. I know it's kind of cliche, but you end up in that spot for a reason. And I think Will will have a great career. Somebody suggested to me on Friday, and you're in a position where I think you can assess this more objectively because you weren't in the middle of it, but somebody said that once the slide starts, other teams start doubting their evaluation because others aren't taking the guy. So what did we miss? What did we overlook? What are they seeing that we haven't seen? So they pass on him too, and it just greases the skids, and out he goes. Do you agree that that is a dynamic in a slide like the one we saw? I think sometimes that creeps into your head, yes. And I think another part is, as you get down later, you know, mid to late first round, a lot of those teams are successful and have winning records because they already have quarterbacks. And it's hard to take a quarterback, you know, in the first round if you already have one. Even though there is value there, you may take a tackle or a pass rusher or someone else 
instead. So there, there, there's, you know, uh, different reasons why. But yes, you know, doubt can creep into your head and you turn around and you ask your scouts, okay, what's going on here? Is there something we're missing? Uh, but in Will's case, that, that wasn't the case. It was just more, I think, finding the right fit. You know, it's funny I smile when you say that because we hear evaluators and coaches say from time to time we're taking the best available player regardless of position. But that, I believe, is always influenced by what your needs are. You can't separate your needs from your assessment of the best available players because especially in, in this day and age where it's one year at a time, one year at a time, you want somebody that's going to come in and fill a need, not the best guy on the board, even if he's clearly the best guy if you do – a neutral assessment of the remaining players. Right. I think quarterback's kind of a little bit different in that situation, just because of the, the nature of the position and only one guy plays. Um, we always say best player available. Everybody always says that. Uh, but in like Philadelphia's case this year, Harry Roseman has plenty of pass rushers. He did take the best player available at 30, Nolan Smith. So, you know, you, you do hold uh, true to that as much as you can. You have your value, you know, that you place on a player. And then, once the need hits and they intersect, maybe that, that's when you take a need. When two guys are rated the same, you have a need on your roster, that's when you take need. Um, I think in this situation about the quarterback, it's just a very specific uh, instance where maybe you would not take that player. So you get to number one. And one of the realities of having the first pick in the draft is at some point you got to put a name on the card. You have to make a choice. And you got multiple options. you got multiple guys you feel good about, pros, cons, pluses, minuses. How do you get to the point once you get the number one overall pick that Bryce Young is your guy? You know, like I said, we went through a really continuous process and we tried to poke holes in, you know, we looked at them from every different angle. We went to our analytics guy. We went to player engagement, went to, uh, you know, like the psychologist. You look for anything that you might miss just on tape and on evaluation. You know, we have all these back checks in place. And once that person's able to stand in there and stay at the top of the board the whole time, uh, you know you have your guy. Um, but it, it was a real process. And we we really didn't decide until the Monday prior to the draft when I went, walked into Frank's office, said, okay, who are we taking? You know, just kind of a quick question. He said, Bryce. Uh, I talked to Mr. Tepper about it. And uh, I think we were all on board. It was a consensus throughout the organization. Bryce was the right guy for us. Was there a moment where you sensed that's where it was going? Was it a meeting? Was it a discussion? Was it his pro day work? I mean, wh when was it that you thought, you know what, I have a feeling this is where we're going to end up? You know, the the one thing that stands out is probably at dinner the night before his pro day. And we're sitting in a restaurant and uh, we're talking to him. And this is the first time, you know, you've interviewed him at, at the Combine in a, you know, 18-minute interview. We've talked to him at other places. But this is the time you see him in a social setting where we're sitting around a table and we're really just getting to know the guy and he's holding court. You know, we had a couple hour dinner with him. And as you're sitting there at dinner, you're just looking at this guy. And I'm thinking in my head the whole time, OK, is this the right guy for us? Is this the guy that we want kind of be in our face? Is, is he the one we want leading our team, you know, in the huddle when it's the fourth quarter? And you have all these questions in your head as you're sitting at dinner, just watching him talk to other people. And that was kind of the moment that I had personally where I thought, okay, this is the guy. This is the guy that we want leading the team. Help the folks who don't do this for a living understand the line from how someone handles themselves at a social dinner and how someone handles themselves 
on a football field? I'm sure it's not a bright, clear line. It's more of a jagged, dotted line. But what do you glean from those interactions that make you think this is going to be the right guy for us on a football field? You know, you, you feel the presence of the player, just like the command that they have. As he's sitting there at dinner, he was so poised. And you're like, okay, if I put this guy in the huddle, if Frank Dyer saying this is the guy, we're putting him in the huddle, game's on the line. Bryce is the guy we want our players looking at, you know, knowing this is the guy that can get it done for us. We can win with this guy. And uh, I think that's kind of where that social part overlaps into the football side when you get to know the person and not just the player. There's an old school football mentality. And look, analytics have been part of personnel evaluation for years. We talk about it as it relates to fourth down decisions and going for two and whatever. But there are models, there are prototypes, and he doesn't fit the prototype that's accepted as relates to size, height, weight of a passer. What did you do to get past that, to get to the point where you were comfortable defying the prototypes? Yeah, I think it's something I've learned from John Schneider in Seattle. You know, what are the compensating factors? And John went through that when, you know, he was looking at Russell. And, you know, the one thing he said, how is this height going to affect him? Everyone's talking about he's 5'10". Okay, what are the limitations here? Usually on a shorter quarterback, that's being able to throw over the middle of the field for the first eight to ten yards. One thing about Bryce is he can see over the middle of the field. We did a heat map with him where a lot of his completions were right over the middle of the field. And guys that are 6'3", 6'4", getting balls batted down, throwing over the middle, the lower completion rate. And the one thing about Bryce, he had, he had a really high completion rate. He only had two batted balls. And that you're like, okay, this guy understands how to slide in pocket, how to find the windows and the throwing lanes. You know, there's a real art to that. And he makes it look so easy, and he's never stressed in the pocket. And he's just, they're very subtle movements. But he's finding that lane, he's throwing the ball. So we didn't think the height uh, would be a factor uh, with him. It was something we definitely studied, and you have to study it because it's a real thing. But he does have those compensating factors. How does the weight factor into this, especially the first draft after we saw Tua Tonga-Vailoa hit the ground three different times this year, helmet strikes the turf, the physics aren't in your favor if you're on the wrong side of 200 pounds. How do you overcome that concern that this is a guy who can get thrown around and possibly injured when he lands just because he, he doesn't weigh as much as other quarterbacks do? Yeah, again, that's another something that we really talked about. How is he going to hold up? You know, you do study guys like Tua and other, uh, other players. Uh, we can build up his body. One thing coming from Alabama, they have all the resources. He's coming from a program that has all the resources. But we do think as his body matures, he will add mass. You know, we will get him on a strength program that will, you know, bulk him up. Uh, I think the rules now in the NFL where you can't land on quarterbacks with the body weight, you know, that plays into it. Um, the one thing about Bryce, he does get rid of the ball a lot of times before he takes a hit. He's not a guy that's going to stand in the pocket and hold on to the ball for four seconds when that ball should be out of three. So he will avoid some of those hits. Uh, he's very elusive in the pocket. So. There, there's a way that we are going to play him. There's things we'll ask him to do. Like, hey, just throw the ball away. Live to fight another day. You know, you don't need to stand in the pocket for the last second on, on this second down play. Let's just get the third down and not take that unnecessary hit. And then another thing that we did, when we build our offensive line, we really want stout guys up the middle between our guards and centers because these three techs and these interior linemen are so powerful, so quick now. That that's what really disrupts a quarterback, especially a shorter quarterback. 
So if we can build it really stout up the middle, we think that'll also help price. You referred to getting rid of the ball quickly, making good decisions. That brings me to the test that not many of us had heard about before this draft cycle, but it's been around for a while, the S2. The Wonderlick's been around forever, intelligence test. S2, I think, is different. I've talked to some people about what it is, how it works. Explain it to me and also explain how Bryce Young did so well and what that meant to you, given that he did so well on it. Yeah, I think we have to understand it's not an intelligence test. It's more of a processing test. And it's, it's, not, it's not like a deciding factor for us. It's a tool that we use to gauge, you know, where a guy is at processing speed-wise. And there's other little elements in certain possession, uh, positions, you know, it probably weighs more heavily on. Um, but, you know, Bryce did really well on it. That's great. But if he had done poorly on it, it's just another small factor on it in, in the uh, evaluation process. But the fact that he did well just kind of cemented the fact, okay, what we see is him as a, an elite processor. This test confirms that. Had he done poorly, would have gone back, taken a look, but that doesn't mean he's not a good processor. It's just he didn't do well on that test. But Is it more like a video game than a test where you have to react to certain flashes and dots and things moving on the screen? Is that how it works? Yeah, that's my understanding. I've actually never taken it, so I don't know. It's probably a good thing that I haven't taken it. But uh, my understanding is it's more of a reactionary test where you're reacting to flashes and different things. it's something we believe in. It's something, you know, Brandon Alley, who, you know, runs it, um, you know, he's the person that we've gotten to know. And, uh, you know, we do like it. It's something that's valuable to us. So what's the timetable for getting him on the field? You've got Andy Dalton. You've got Matt Corral, third rounder last year that suffered an injury fairly early in the process. We've just kind of forgotten he's even there, but he was a highly rated guy last year. How does it work from the standpoint of Bryce Young going from first overall pick to being your starting quarterback? Yeah, we're going to rely on our coaches and the, the, you know, Jim Caldwell, Frank Bragg, Thomas Brown to decide when it's right. We don't have a timeline. We're not saying, hey, this guy's going to start the first game or we're not going to play him at all this year. When the time is right where we felt like he's got enough in the mastery of the offense where he can go out and operate this and be successful, that's when he'll be out there. We went out and signed Andy Dalton. For a reason, he played as a rookie. He's got a lot of experience. He understands his role, and you know we can play good football. If Andy's the guy to start the season, and he's the starter right now, heading into the season, then uh, he'll be the guy when Bryce is ready or Matt Corral is ready, whoever it may be. You know, that'll be the time they go in. Um, you know, we say it's open open competition, but Frank did say, "Hey, Andy's our guy right now. He'll walk into the season as a starter, and then as." you know, the young guys compete underneath him, then they'll go in when they're ready. Last one for you. And every time I say that, I know that's the kiss of death because that means there's going to be another one. But you mentioned Mr. Tepper. I saw him at the pro day workouts. He was involved. How does he strike the balance between I own the team. It's ultimately my call and I'm not qualified to be making these decisions. I have to defer to the experts I've hired to run my football operation. Well, first of all, he, he loves this and he loves the process and he loves being around the people. Uh, he's not involved to the point of watching tape and evaluating and offering suggestions like, hey, why don't we take this guy? Why don't we take that guy? Uh, you know, he'll ask us about players, but his whole role is he's about process. His whole world about process and back checks and finding the data and making the uh, decision 
with the most information that you can get. And that's what he challenges us on. It's not about, oh, why are you taking this guy? He may say that, but he wants to understand why. It's not about, he's not out of his pro days trying to figure out, does he have the arm strength? That's not his world. And, and he's the person to tell you, that's not the world. That's not what I know. But what he does know is when he talks to the coaches when he's there, and say we're at Alabama and we go up to Nick Saban's office, he's in there and he's trying to understand who this kid is. And he wants to hear what Nick, Nick Saban has to say. He wants to talk to the family. He wants to talk to the coaches around there. But it, it, he's, again, it all comes back to he lets us make the decision, but he really challenges us on process and having the right process. Scott, this was awesome. I've taken up too much of your time. You have rookies to go sign, apparently. Go get to work on Bryce Young's contract. I'll look forward to the news that he's been signed, sealed, and delivered. That's awesome. Appreciate it, Mike. Thank you. All right. Thanks so much. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. It's time to take your career to the next level. With over 150 graduate degree programs, the Catholic University of America, located in Washington, D.C., provides world-class academics with a student experience that educates the whole person, mind, body, and spirit. Whether your professional calling is in engineering, nursing, social work, or any of our other exceptional degree programs, encounter the best of everything that Catholic University has to offer and discover the best in yourself. Learn more today at catholic.edu forward slash gradadmissions. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. All right, we continue our series of interviews with general managers throughout the NFL post-draft. Not that the work stops. It never stops for guys like Terry Fontenot, who joins us now. Terry, how are you? Outstanding, man. Outstanding. Appreciate you having me. I appreciate you doing it. You were just rattling off all the stuff that's going on. One thing that caught my eye, XFL players, paying attention to the spring leagues, developmental opportunities for players, chances for teams to find some guys who can maybe come in and make a difference. Yeah, I was talking to Randy Mueller this morning about it. The XFL, that, that league was um, did a really good job this year, just the way they structured the league. A lot of, um, whether it's the coaching staff, the front office, they hired a lot of really smart people. And the way they put the league together, um, it's made it really easy for us to evaluate them, bring players in, um, and start to go through that process. So um, there, there's some good players in that league. You know, I hadn't really thought of it before. It's one thing to look for players, but you have – other avenues you could find some scouts from the xfl you could find assistant coaches you can find all sorts of people who can come make the atlanta falcons better because they're getting their reps and their opportunities in one of the spring leagues yep no you're, you're absolutely right and, and and a lot of people that are in there are people that have had um uh, opportunities in the league and have been in the league and so they know a lot about the league and so it is turnkey if you hire someone from there but the other cool part is the fact that they know how the league works and so when you come up with different ideas and how you want to do things, they say, okay, this makes sense because they've sat in these seats. You have former GMs, former um, coaches, former personnel directors. And so they really understand um, the, the, the impact that they can have 
structuring it the way that they did. And I need to mention USFL also because USFL games on NBC and Peacock. Yes, probably, absolutely. I probably should mention that there are two spring leagues now from which you can draw both player yes. talent and non-player talent and people get chances to really prove what they can do before they get an opportunity to do it at the highest possible level. Well, you've been yep. doing it at the highest level now for a few years. The Falcons are one of those teams in my mind that kind of on the brink of something. And I think most people haven't figured it out yet. Seven and 10 each of the last two years, division that feels wide open, conference that has seen a lot of the great players migrate to the AFC. I just feel like you guys have something going on that has yet to be fully appreciated. And maybe you like it that way. Yeah, it's mentality before reality, right? There's a really good mindset in this building, and it's it has been here for the last two years. And really believe that from the coaching staff to um, really everybody in the building, everyone is here constantly doing everything you can do to win. And so we're really excited about the players that we've added starting um, with the offseason and players that we traded for, players that we had in free agency, and then now as we go through the draft. And, again, we just worked out some players. We're, we're visiting XFL players, so we're always trying to get better. And, and we really believe in the, the building right now, the players that are here, and the staff. So we're really excited about the season. How much of this year, Terry, feels like clean slate because you've gotten past the dead cap money from the Julio Jones trade? the dead cap money from the Matt Ryan trade. That's gone now. It's off the books. It's over. You can now focus on going forward. You spent in free agency, bolstering the defense mainly. But does it feel like you're finally at the spot where you can do your job now that all due respect to great players from the past, but those salary cap numbers are gone and you can focus on moving forward? Yeah, and that's all a part of it. You know, and and any – any job is going to have uh, some some different challenges for whatever reasons, you, you know, and, and that was a challenge dealing with a lot of that. And again, that's why I say I appreciate this staff and and again, these coaches, because it was never used as, as an excuse um, over the previous couple of years. We we're doing everything we could do to win every possible game and build the best roster that we possibly could. And so we were looked at as opportunities as opposed to obstacles. Um, but there were some challenges. And look, Moving forward, there are going to be more challenges that we're going to deal with. Those are the challenges in those moments. But we are definitely excited about where we are at this point. So last Thursday night, you're sitting at number eight when round one begins. I assume you got at least eight names that you're happy to take because yes. it can go seven different ways, seven different names, seven guys you really like all could be gone by the time you pick. How high was B. John Robinson on your list of names going into round one? Well, you're right. You do want to have eight names. You don't sleep good if you don't have eight names because you know that it can it can go either way. And we just we've kind of talked about it. That was one of the more unpredictable um, drafts going into it, not knowing what's going to happen in front of you. I, I think everybody knew who they expect the number one pick to be. Outside of that, the next um, picks, we just didn't know. We loved Bijan throughout the whole process. And there were some other really good players that came off the board before him. We like those players a lot, but we love Bijan and and the, the the man he is, the person he is, the player he is, the impact he's going to make. So without saying exactly where he was in our staff, we were pumped um, to take him off the board at eight. There's been a debate about taking running backs in the top 10. Bijan is the first one to go since Saquon Barkley in 2018. There hadn't been a running back taken higher than number 24 since then. No running backs in round one last year. 
what was it that made you comfortable with making a running back, regardless of who the running back is, any running back, a top 10 draft pick? Well, and I think for us, you got to take the position out of it and talk about the player. Because you might say, take a premium position, take a corner, take a defensive end. Okay, tell me who the corner is. Tell me who the defensive end is. That's what matters. It's who the particular player is. And when you talk about a B. John Robinson, the the impact, he's he's a he's an impact offensive player. Um, he's a playmaker. You look at last year with Drake London, we're excited to take him off the board because of not because he was a receiver, but because of the impact we believe he's going to make as well as Kyle Pitts two years ago. So we believe we're taking impact players and we're taking playmakers, home run hitters, touchdown makers, guys that can really impact our total team. So we never focus on a particular position. You think positionless football, you just want to take good players that fit the character traits that you're looking for that are going to make you a better team. One of the realities, I think, of running backs not being taken as high as they used to be is there are so many running backs out there. You can get them in any round. You can get them in every round. You can get them undrafted. But is part of it also the nature of the position that is so conducive to injury? Saquon Barkley started off great, got injured in 2019, got injured in 2020. Not his fault. You're the guy that's in the car crash every play. You've got guys hitting every angle of your body, every body part, every play you touch the ball. How much of that fact was into it? The idea that this position is arguably the riskiest from a health standpoint in all of football. Yeah, and, and I think to, to your point, you have to have a, a clear plan of exactly what you're going to do and how to, you're going to utilize that particular player. And that's what's fun about – we do really like the players in our running back room, whether we're talking about Tyler or CP – and, and all the different things that they can do. And, and I have a lot of confidence in, in our coaching staff from our head coach, Arthur Smith, and our offensive coordinator, Dave, we're going, you go all the way down the coaching staff. We have some really smart people in the building and we have clear visions and clear plans for everyone on our roster. And when we get excited about a player and know the impact he's going to make, obviously you factor all those things in usage and mileage and all those things, but we have a very clear plan and clear vision of how it's going to all come together. There's been a lot of talk about B. John Robinson not just playing in the backfield, but spending time in the slot like he did at Texas last year. Is the vision to move him all over the place when he's on the field? Yeah, I think he can he can do a lot of different things. And and that's one of the things that when you put on the tape and wherever he is on the field, he does. He makes impacts. If you if he's at receiver, if he's in the slot, you're going to worry about him. You better make sure you have a plan for him. Coordinators have to make sure they have a plan for him. Or if he's in the backfield, but when you just go through our players on our roster, we have other players that are the same way. You don't know where they're going to line up and exactly what they're going to do. So that's that's the fun part about it. Sounds like some no huddle offense could be incorporated more heavily into the attack. I mean, you get guys out there who are versatile, who can line up everywhere. You can create some mismatches if you get the right personnel on the defensive side of the ball. We'll see. Again, not only the different impacts the guys can make, but we believe we have a lot of smart players. Um, that we brought in a lot of smart, high character guys. So um, you can definitely be versatile with the different things we're going to do. <laughs> You're going to keep guys awake at night, though, really, when they have to figure out how to stop all these guys. And you rattled off the names, and that's what dawned on me after you picked Bijan Robinson. Holy crap, look at the skill position players this team has. But there's still only one football. How do you keep everybody happy when, at the end of the day, only one guy's getting the ball in his hands every single play? Yeah, and it's a great question. And we always look at it like it's all about wins, right? That's the one stat that matters. It's about what are we going to do to get the win? And when you've been a part of really good teams and good programs, 
there's times that you can win 10 to nothing. And there's going to be games that you have to outscore the other team and you have to score more points. There's games where this particular player is going to have a bunch of catches or a bunch of yards and there's plays where they aren't. And it's plays work. So when you have that's why it's not just about bringing in players with highest skill sets, but we have to bring in the right types of players to be, have a championship team. You have to have championship character. So we want unselfish players. So if we go and win a game and this particular player didn't touch the ball much. He was more of a diversion. Or he was he's going to be excited about that win and vice versa. So we're excited because not only the players we have, but we do believe we have unselfish players that are all about getting the, the one stat that matters that win. After you drafted B. John Robinson, I tweeted a list of all the names of the skill position players you guys have. And I actually forgot Cordell Patterson. And then that dawned on me. And I was like, oh, my He's not going to like that. But right, but but uh, it's unbelievable <laughs> that you have that many guys. But the pushback I got was, yeah, but they don't have a quarterback. Yeah, but, you know, it doesn't matter if the quarterback isn't any good. I think quarterback is unproven. And I think if, only, if anything, this only makes him better by taking pressure off of him, by having all these great players he can get the ball to. Yeah, we have a lot of confidence in Desmond and and not, not only we know the skill set that he has, but the worker he is, the competitor he is, the natural leadership. And so we do have confidence in him. And yet also we believe it's not ever going to be about one player. It's going to be about the team. That's how we're going to win championships. It's going to always be about the team, but he's the ultimate team player. And we have a lot of confidence in him. Where would you say his development is right now after one year in the NFL of only playing, you know, a limited amount at the end of the season? Yeah, he, well, he, he played in four games, and we saw growth throughout that four-game period. And since then, he's been working. Uh, that's what he's been doing. He's going to do everything he can possibly do uh, to get better. And there's a part of that equation that you need. There needs to be some experience. And so um, as we get into the season, he's going to gain more experience. But what we believe, we believe in the person. We believe in his skill set. And we believe he's going to get the absolute most of his ability. But there's always unknown with that because, again, he's only played four NFL games. Where have you as an organization challenged him to get better? I think with with every day, the, the, the way we run this program, everybody in the building from myself to where anyone that works in the building, every player, every coach, we come in every day and we got to get better. And there's no complacency. Um, there, there's no one's comfortable. Everyone is trying their best to get better. And we believe that's what he's going to do. He, he's going to he's the ultimate competitor. And there's a lot of little details of his game that, again, we saw improvement down the stretch, and he knows there's a lot of areas he needs to continue to prove like everyone else on the roster, but we have no doubt that he has the right mindset that he's going to do everything he can do to to reach his max ability. Now, you got to have blockers to protect the quarterback and to create some running lanes for guys like Bijan Robinson. You traded up to get Matthew Bergeron at pick number 38 in round two. Were you trying to get into round one, two on Thursday night? Was that yeah, something so we, I'd heard that? We, is that what was going on? Yeah, we were on the phone. What we basically do is once we make that pick, then we look at, okay, hey, these are the players that we want. Who are the players we would trade back in to get? There's always a clump of those players. Who are the players we want at the top of one? And we want to be aggressive. What I love about, again, our staff, it's not just our um, front office led by Kyle Smith, but also obviously our, our coaching staff and our head coach is there's passion and conviction. And that's what you're always looking for, passion and conviction on the players that you take. You want to be excited about the players you take and have a clear vision. So when we're looking at the players that are there, we say, okay, are there any players we trade back in for? There were. So we were on the phone and you're always weighing it out. You at least want to get on the phone, Mike, and find out, okay, what's it going to cost? There's some costs that it's not worth it to give up that much for. 
So we were on the phone with with some teams. It didn't quite work out. And we did the same thing, trying to get back in at, at the, or trying to get to the top of the second round. And it worked out. And the best player on the board when we were able to get on, on the clock was uh, Matt Bergeron. And very excited to have him. What are your expectations? And I know you get asked that all the time. And everybody always says to win the Super Bowl. But realistically, where the program is right now, where you've been, 7-10, and 10, last year, seven and 10, the year before that, what is the next step for the Falcons? I think to get better every single day and get the most of your team to go out there and, and you want to, every game that you play, you want to have a clear plan to go out there and compete and do the best that you can to win that game. That's the mindset um, to every single game that you go out there and play, you want to be able to compete and win it. Um, we can go through and talk about the division and, and the, we can talk about, but at the end of the day, you want to have that mindset to where every time you step out on that field, whether it's a practice drill or whether it's a preseason game or whether it's a regular season game or a playoff game, you want to do the very best you can to win that game. Last one. I do these in that window between the draft and when the schedule comes out. Who do you want to open with? That's an interesting question. Um, it's always cool to open at home. We, we got to open at home last year. That was always fun to open at home. And um I don't know. I think sometimes it's fun to open with familiar opponents. Uh, so sometimes it's fun to open uh, with that division. Um, man, I, I, that's a good question. I've never really thought about that. You know, usually when you look at the schedule, when the schedule comes out, you look at more so, okay, who, who are the games? Who are the cold weather games you have to go and play at the end of the season? So you look at where's your bye week? Um, do you have a London game? You kind of look at more so things like that. You do look at that first game, but that's a, that's a good question. I got to think about that one, man. What do you think? And Who do you want to see us play week one? Well, I, I, well <laughs> the New York Jets, just because I want to see everybody play the Jets this year because they have Aaron Rodgers and they are on their schedule <laughs> this year. But, you know, this year for the first time, you can have multiple short week games. Is that one of the things you're going to look for? Do we get the short straw here where we have to do Sunday to Thursday turnaround more than once? You definitely look at that. You, you look at where are those short weeks? Is it a home game prior to that? And then so – because right away with with Arthur Smith and and working with the staff, okay. So how do we plan this, and how do we plan the practices and and, and the travel, and and how do we go about this? Are we going to spend an extra night, and um, how we go about that? So uh, that's that, that's important to look at as well. I mean, the, the popular teams get yanked all over the place. Prime time Thursday night here, there, and everywhere. There is something to be said for having every game start Sunday at one Eastern. Just from the standpoint of yeah. that that regularity, that rhythm that goes into a team, but but that's reserved for the teams that the league thinks aren't going to be very good. And you can use that mm -hmm. as a way to put a chip on your shoulder too, if that's what happens if you get a lot of one o'clock Eastern games. Yep, yep, and, and and we already have some people in the building. Whether we don't get many primetime games or we get extra primetime games, uh, if we get more than we had last year, then I do believe that the people in this building, they're going to figure out a reason to have a chip on their shoulder, even once we have, because you know how it is, whether you're handling success or failure, it's how you handle it. But the way our building is, there's never going to be any uh, anyone that's comfortable or complacent. We're always going to have that mindset, that chip, and um, we believe we've got something to prove. Well, I love watching standalone games in primetime. That's better than trying to watch eight or nine at once. And I want to watch the Falcons in primetime as much as possible this year with B. John Robinson and the rest of the great players you have. Terry, it's been a an honor to talk to you again. I enjoy it every time we do it. We wish you all the best as the offseason continues and can't wait to see where you start your season and how many of those night games you guys have this year. 
We appreciate you. You might want to send a follow-up tweet with CP in there, man. Maybe a picture I, I of him or something. Because he's I not going to like should. that. Well, he'll have a chip on his shoulder. He'll be even better this year. There Maybe you go. That, there right? you go. Thanks, right, Mike. Thanks, Terry. Time to take your career to the next level with over 150 graduate degree programs. The Catholic University of America, located in Washington, D.C., provides world class academics with a student experience that educates the whole person, mind, body, and spirit. Whether your professional calling is in engineering, nursing, social work, or any of our other exceptional degree programs, encounter the best of everything that Catholic University has to offer and discover the best in yourself. Learn more today at catholic.edu forward slash grad admissions. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.